0: today is thursday april 1st the title for our devotional is utterly alone today we remember maundy thursday in the church calendar this is the day of the week in which the prayer in gethsemane took place yesterday we saw jesus prediction that the disciples would abandon him and of course they did We also saw Peter abandon him by denying him three times, later on in the narrative. Today we're going to look at another, albeit more minor, abandonment on the part of Jesus' disciples. Matthew 26, 36-46 says this, Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Peter, James, and John were Jesus' three closest disciples. These three had been with him on the Mount of Transfiguration and had at different times professed to be willing to suffer with him. Here he brings them with him to pray. He tells them to keep watch with him. With what he has just told them that they would all fall away because of him, and Peter himself would disown Jesus three times, one would think that they would take this imperative of Jesus a little more seriously. This is why he singles out Peter in verses 40 to 41. Yet, they succumb to sleep and fail to keep watch and pray with Jesus for even one hour. This happens three times, and each time they fall asleep. These three failures likely foreshadow his future three denials and Jesus' subsequent three times asking Peter to confirm his love for him After his resurrection in John 21. Three is a common number found in the scriptures that usually gives stronger emphasis to a thing, or it implies the wholeness or completion of a thing, or it's used as like a short time fulfillment of a promise. God is not just holy, he is holy, 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 meaning he's like totally, completely, fully holy. So the disciples' abandonment of Jesus here isn't just an accidental mistake. It is portrayed as a complete abandonment. It's quite clear that they failed to realize the gravity of the moment and their need for earnest prayer despite Jesus' clear warnings and obvious distress in his own soul. This failure on the part of his disciples leaves Jesus alone yet again, abandoned by the ones who were most committed to him. They failed, Jesus says, because their spirit is willing but their flesh is weak. Here, Jesus is likely saying that they are committed and willing to suffer with him, as they've professed, but they're just physically unable to. They're tired. It's not a lack of desire that is keeping them from praying. They have great intentions, but they're just too sleepy. This line likely holds true for many of us today. It's not a lack of desire that keeps us from praying. Just about everyone would say they would like to pray. The problem may not be the desire, but the physical discipline to carry it out this is why prayer and fasting which should aid our life of prayer are called disciplines they require us to discipline our flesh so as to help us foster a life of prayer and communion with god for how silly it sounds sleepiness is often a legitimate obstacle to prayer how easy is it to fall asleep during early morning quiet time Disciplining our fat flesh may require us to wake up at a certain time or stay awake later to pray. It may require us to say no to something else our flesh desires, like entertainment or simple pleasures like we've talked about in previous weeks, so we can spend time in prayer. After saying that he becomes all things to all people, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 9 says that he disciplines his body and keeps it under control so that he is not disqualified after preaching to others self-discipline is required for discipleship. This whole scene of the disciples falling asleep would be rather humorous if it weren't for a couple of tragic details. First, Jesus is clearly in agony and desperate for the small comfort of fellowship in prayer from his closest friends. Even this small comfort, however, is taken from him as his disciples repeatedly fail and he's left utterly alone in his agony. Secondly, I simply see too much of myself in the characters of the three disciples. In the disciples I see my own lack of discipline and my own sloth. I see my all too often indifference to the importance of prayer in time with God. So often we want to see ourselves as the hero in the stories of scriptures, but I think the Gospel writers include these moments as warnings to us not to do the same things the disciples did. So to avoid falling into sloth like the three disciples here, we must discipline our flesh to obey Jesus. For additional content today, I want to read a couple of quotes from Dallas Willard's book, The Spirit of the Disciplines. He writes, The intent for the church is twofold. The effective proclamation of the Christian gospel to all humanity, making disciples from every nation or ethnic group, and the development of those disciples' character into the character of Christ himself, teaching them to do all things whatsoever I have commanded you, from Matthew 28:20. 20. If these are done well, all else desirable will follow. He goes on to say later, Have we done what is necessary to bring the earnest convert into his or her possessions as a child of God, as a brother or sister of Jesus Christ in the new life? Unfortunately, the answer to this question must be a clear no. It is not an exaggeration to say that this dimension of practical theology is not even taken as a matter of great seriousness by most of our teachers and leaders, probably because it doesn't seem imperative to succeed in doing so immediately. So we can only describe the phrase, teaching them to do all things whatsoever I have commanded you, as the great omission from the great commission of Matthew 28, 19 through 20. He later says, this is the setting from which we begin to reach out to the disciplines, because we somehow realized they had a ring of authenticity about them they suggested how through concrete steps we might redeem the time relentlessly flowing past and how by strenuous engagement we might be redeemed from fire by fire the disciplines promised to give our lives a form that would serve as a receptacle for the substance of the christ life in god's present kingdom to understand the disciplines was to take our activities our lives seriously and to suppose that the following of Christ was at least as big a challenge as playing the violin or jogging. He concludes this chapter by saying, Full participation in the life of God's kingdom and in the vivid companionship of Christ comes to us only through appropriate exercise in the disciplines for life in the Spirit. Those disciplines alone can become for average Christians the conditions upon which the spiritual life is made indubitably real. It's true. And if this point can be made as convincingly as its truth and its importance deserves, the practical effects will be stunning. There will be life-giving revolution in our personal lives and in our world. For reflection time today, reflect on your commitment to the disciplines of the faith, things like prayer, fasting, and solitude. These are time-tested methods for spiritual formation. If you haven't already, Commit to a time to practice these disciplines and actually discipline your flesh to make them happen.